Bible reading is from Mark chapter 15 from verses 16 to 41. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. And then they had, when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. A certain man named from Siren, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross, which brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by holding soaps at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are the going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Please crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the morning. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sebashanani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near here heard this, they said, look, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filling a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph, Joseph and Salome. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, let, let me pray as we hear from God's word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. This day that we come together to remember that Jesus stayed on the cross for us so that in him we may not only have the forgiveness of our sins but the hope of the resurrection and so father as we now come to your word we pray that you'll help us to so believe 
that we may be grateful in every area of our lives to live for Christ, to die for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the greatest hits of the 90s was Alanis Morissette's song, Ironic. So I thought I'll sing a couple of verses to you. No, I'm just joking. You'd all cringe and walk away. Uh, let me read uh, one of the verses to you. It says something like this. A traffic jam when you're already late. A no smoking sign on your cigarette break. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? As many people have since pointed out after the song was released, the irony of Morissette's song is that the situation she describes aren't ironies but coincidences. And so when a woman asked Morissette about it, she said, so all of those things in ironic isn't ironic. And that's the irony. And Morissette said, yep, isn't that ironic? Uh, Cambridge Dictionary defines irony as this. Something is ironic if it's interesting, strange, or funny because of being very different from what you would usually expect. Uh, and so the photo of escalators at a fitness gym in America is ironic. Uh, or this sign which says, learn to read, free, is ironic because if you can't read, you can't read that sign and you can't learn to read. Uh, or this permanent tattoo. Uh, do you notice what the irony is here? Hopefully the bloke who got the tattoo isn't regretting it because it's spelt incorrectly. Uh, it's missing the T in nothing. And so instead of reading regret nothing, it says regret nothing. Uh, it already can be funny, uh, but it can also be very serious. Uh, and the passage we just read is loaded with irony, serious irony. But let me point out uh, two major ones. Uh, the first irony is this. Jesus is the innocent king who's condemned to die, uh, which is not what you would usually expect. You wouldn't usually expect an innocent person, let alone a king, to die a gruesome death. Now, you might remember from last week, or you might have heard the story before, Jesus was handed over to be crucified by Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And the charge for his crime is that he claims to be the king of the Jews. Uh, verse 2 in chapter uh, 15, we see this. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. And Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, you have said so. Uh, that is, yes, I am the king, I am the promised Messiah, the one the Jews have been waiting for. But, but what crime has he committed? Well, what has he done that deserves capital punishment? Well, Pilate interrogates him, but find his, finds him completely innocent. Uh, but what happens? He's flogged and handed over to be crucified. Uh, that's the irony, isn't it? The king of the Jews is condemned to die an innocent death. Uh, that, that's not what you would usually expect to happen. Uh, you, you could just imagine if Queen Elizabeth II was condemned to die today by her subjects. That would be outrageous. There would be great outcry. But it's just not what should happen. But there's more irony when the soldiers take Jesus to be crucified. So Pilate hands him over. The soldiers then take him to the palace, which is ironic because Jesus claims to be the king and he's taken to the palace. Verse 16, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium, that is the, the quarters of the, the soldiers, and, and call together the whole company of soldiers. So like a bunch of bullies, these soldiers gather around Jesus, they come together, they, they abuse him, make fun of him for entertainment. Since he claims to be a king, they dress him like a king, they put a purple robe on him. 
uh, he, they, they put, him, uh, put a crown on him uh, with a, a branch of sharp and prickly thorns that, that they shoved down his head. And they pay homage to him and call him, uh, call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. They, they mock him. Uh, verse 17, they put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out on him, Hail, King of the Jews. But that wasn't enough for them. So they beat him and strike him. They, they spit on him and pretend to bow down to this pathetic king, to pay homage to this helpless king. Uh, verse 19, again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Can you see what's happening here? So, but to top it all off, when they crucify Jesus on the cross, they nail a sign above his head for the crime that he has committed. And the, and the sign says, the king of the Jews in verse 26. They must have thought that they were so clever and so funny. Look, everyone, he's the king of the Jews. What a joke. What kind of king hangs naked on a cross? What kind of king dies an innocent death, yet dies in the most gruesome way known to man? But the real irony, is, you see, is that Jesus is the king. And not just the king of the Jews, but the king of heaven and earth. He's not just the kind of king these soldiers are used to meeting, but the kind of king that they will tremble in great fear if they really knew who he was. Because he's not just a king who rules, but the king who saves. And that's the second irony in today's passage. Jesus is the saviour who needs saving. And so the one who called himself saviour was hanging on the cross, naked and humiliated, utterly helpless and broken. And the irony is that it appears that the saviour needs saving. Well, that, that's not what you normally expect. And so those who pass by hurl insults at him and tell him to save himself. Verse 29, those who pass by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. Like the soldiers, these people think that they're so clever and funny, don't they? They see the irony. And, and so they're saying to Jesus, yelling at him as he's hanging on the cross dying, you're meant to be a saviour. You say you're a saviour, so save yourself. Do some saving. And the leaders of Israel join in as well. Verse 31, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. You could almost forgive the leaders, can't you? After all, they've seen Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead, exercise demons, calm the storm, forgive sins. They've seen all these ways that Jesus has saved. And yet what is he doing now? He's hanging hopeless and helpless upon a tree, useless and weak, bloody and dying. He who saved others can't save himself. The saviour needs a bit of saving. What irony. It's not what you'd expect from the saviour of the world. Verse 22. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. But you see, what... Everyone failed to understand is that the irony was on them. You see, Jesus is the saviour who came to save. But he came not to save himself, he came to save them, to save us, to, to pay the ransom for our sins. And Jesus has said over and over again, as we've seen in the, in the Gospel of Mark, that he came to die. He didn't come to save himself, he came to die. But on the third day he'll rise. And so for Jesus to save them... 
for Jesus to rise from the dead, for Jesus to be true to his word, he must die, otherwise he'd be a liar. And we'd all still be dead in our sins. And so it's only if Jesus stays on the cross and Jesus doesn't save himself that he can save us, that he can die for us, that he can be worth believing because then he'll be found true to his word. And the great irony is that the Jews didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. But who did? The Roman centurion. A Gentile, a non-Jew. It, it took him to understand who Jesus is. What great irony. For when the Roman centurion sees the sky darken in verse 33, and Jesus cries out to God in verse 34, and Jesus breathes his last in verse 37, look at what the centurion says in verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. You see, it's through Jesus' death that you can understand, that you can believe, like the centurion, who Jesus says he is, is indeed who he really is, the Son of God. Recently I was asked, why is Good Friday called Good Friday? After all, it's a day we remember Jesus dying an innocent death. So wouldn't it be more accurate to call it Bad Friday? Because it's a bad day. So much bad happened on that faithful day. The leaders of Israel falsely accused him out of envy. Pilate condemned him to death, even though he was found innocent. The soldiers beat and tortured him for entertainment. The people passed by, taunted him and insulted him. And God forsook him. So how can... We consider Good Friday as good. Well, friends, it's Good Friday for you if you believe that all that Jesus suffered, all that Jesus endured, all that Jesus did was to save you from your sins, to die the death you deserve. And so unlike the soldiers who paid false homage to Jesus, we need to bend our knee in true worship of Jesus. Unlike the people who hurled insults at Jesus while he died on the cross, we need to be people who cry out from beneath the cross. Jesus, thank you for staying on the cross. Thank you for not saving yourself. Thank you for saving us. For saving us. And like the centurion who saw how Jesus died, we must confess with him, surely this man was the Son of God. And, and that's the good news that we're celebrating this Good Friday. That Jesus would endure such physical and emotional and spiritual suffering so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So friends, that's why we call it Good Friday. It's an ironic name for an ironic day. Even though it was the worst of all Fridays, yet it was the best of all Fridays for anyone who believes. But the true irony is that Jesus had to suffer to be the true king who defeats our worst of enemies, sin and death. And Jesus had to be the saviour of the world, had to die to be the saviour of the world, who saves us from our greatest fear, eternal death and torment in hell. And so friends, if you've made that commitment to believe in Jesus today, 
then this is a very good Friday for you. For you have entered the kingdom of God. You're saved from sin and death. Your gift is eternal life with God. But if you're not ready to make that decision yet and you'd like to find out more, I'd love for you to join our Christianity Explored course. It's free and it's a great way to find out more about Jesus and ask lots of questions and so that you can make an informed decision whether Good Friday is a Good Friday for you. So let me encourage you to stay back for some hot cross buns after service so that we can chat more about this uh, and to find out if you're interested in joining the course. Amen.